All right, gang. Well, I want to thank Pastor Rich last week uh, for teaching on Mother's Day while I and my family were celebrating my son's oldest, uh, my son's graduation, who is our oldest, uh, down at UIC. We had a great time. And then yesterday we celebrated graduation simultaneously. I was at Elgin Community College celebrating my middle son's, Wesley's, graduation uh, from ECC. And uh, my wife was at the Sears Center celebrating my youngest son, Tommy's, graduation from Jacobs High School. So we are just partied out. (laughs) We've had a wild seven days of three graduations, and uh, thank you for... Your congratulations and encouragement. We're so proud of our boys, and we're so amazed that God can use such imperfect people like Lori and I, <laughs> or more like me, I don't say anything about Lori, um, uh, to raise uh, these children. It's interesting as we uh, think about graduations and, and how we typically frame up life. Uh, People, when they think about life, they think about these different milestones. They think about birth, and then they think about, uh, uh, well, graduation from high school, maybe college, your first job, uh, getting married possibly, having your first uh, child, uh, other career milestones, uh, having your first child married. Uh, grandchildren, retirement, and death, and, and that's how they kind of view it up, okay? you got birth over there, you got death over here, and you got all these different milestones along the way. Well, friends, for Christ followers, as taught so specifically in Scripture, we have a totally different way of looking at life. This is life. Birth and death are the two milestones. And uh, there's one other milestone, and that's becoming a Christ follower. So you got three milestones. Birth the second birth, the spiritual birth, and then you have physical death. And if you're a Christ follower, that's the graduation day. That's when you graduate into holiness. Now, again, once you become a Christ follower, God sees you as positionally holy in His eyes. All your sins are forgiven, but still practically you're working on that holiness. Remember we talked about earlier in this chapter about working out your salvation And we said God shines through you when God works in you and you work out your salvation. So the idea is is that spiritual change happens when God is working through you through the power of His Spirit, making you more and more holy on a daily basis. Now at the same time, God is asking us to take initiative We're to work out our salvation. We're to take initiative, just like when I think about my boys and your your kids, if they're in high school, whatever, and they're working hard and they're studying, uh, and they, they have to work hard to get a degree. In the same way, we need to work hard to become holy, even though God is producing that holiness within us. So that's what we want to talk about today, is how do we allow God to work us and what kind of initiative do we need to take because someday we will graduate. And we, that's the way we need to live our lives. You see, if you live with this idea that this is it, I mean, that changes 
everything. If you think this is all there is, and sadly enough, a lot of us, even though we're Christ followers, still kind of thinking that way. We have to be constantly reminded that, no, 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 this is just a short period here, and really it's all about eternity. This is just like preschool, man, and then, you know, forever, forever and ever we'll be with God, and, and that helps us focus our energies only on Jesus, only on what He desires for us, realizing this life offers a lot of things. It says, oh, you got to grab it now or you'll lose it. Well, no, 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 no. Everything that really is significant is going to happen after we die. So now is the time to continue to cultivate that relationship with God and Jesus and to grow in holiness, looking forward to that heavenly graduation and to continue to grow in that type of outlook in life and that type of framework. All right. Well, we've been looking at Philippians chapter 2. And Philippians chapter 2 talks about the fact that we're to live humble, humbly. We're to put others before us. We see this in Philippians 2 or 3. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now that is true humility. We all have desires. We all have plans for our life. But when we start to really think about other people and say, what's important to them? How can I meet their needs? That is something that only happens supernaturally when we put others before ourselves. And so the first 16 verses of chapter 2, and I encourage you to continue to reread as we go through Philippians, reread the whole book, reread the chapter in your daily office, go back and read these passages that we study and meditate upon them. Let them sink in uh, to your soul. But the, the first 16 verses are all about you are to live a humble life powered by Jesus Christ's humility, uh, by His giving of His life, His incarnation, and uh, the sacrifice uh, that He made. We need to work out our salvation. Now, what we're going to see in verses 17 through 30 are three different models of what this looks like in real life. Three different models. Uh, we see them in Paul, in Timothy, and Epaphroditus. So Paul, uh, the question is, what are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? Then we have Timothy, who are you willing to disciple for Jesus? And then Epaphroditus, what are you willing to risk for Jesus? All right, so let's take a look. The first is Paul. What are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? We look in verse 17 of Philippians 2. Even if I, Paul speaking here, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, the whole sacrificial system, we, we, we read about it and think about it, but we never really grasp it. I was in the Philippines on a short-term missions trip before I went to seminary, and I was walking through a market there in Cagandiero City, and, and there was a pig that was squealing. I mean, it was just such a loud squeal. It was ear-shattering. And I was wondering what was going on, and I walked over, and well, they were slaughtering it. I'd probably scream in the same way. Uh, <laughs> they slit its throat and uh, you know, the, ooh, like good bacon and eggs, you know, bacon and ham. But, I mean, really, that's kind of a nasty process to go through, right, to get those good things. Well, you see, that's a sacrifice. Sacrifices aren't fun. 
Sacrifices are not pleasurable. Uh, to, to sacrifice yourself means to give yourself over, to say no to certain things in order that you might be able to say yes to Jesus. So what Paul is saying, you people at Philippi, you are a sacrificial, let's say, lamb. You're put on the sacrifice. Remember, they were poor. They were persecuted. They were discriminated against. They did not have a fun life. All right? They were sacrificing for Jesus Christ. And he says, you are an unbelievable sacrifice. And, and it's fueled by faith, right? Offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. And he says, I'm a drink offering. Now, here, here's a tip. I encourage you guys to study the Word of God and to always have your computer or your smartphone nearby if you don't have good reference books, and most people don't. Uh, and Google. Google things you don't know about, like drink offering. What's a drink offering? Well, go to your Google search engine or whatever search engine uh, you use and say, Biblical drink offering. And pretty, uh, I'm pretty sure you'll, you'll come up with some good information about what a drink offering is. A drink offering was called a libation. It was a... It was a uh, portion of wine that was was poured upon a hot sacrifice so as soon as the wine hit the sacrifice it evaporated and it created an aroma and, and the bible talks about the fact that god is so satisfied with the aroma that comes from our sacrifices so what paul is saying is that you people at philippi you're the main sacrifice and i'm just the the secondary i kind of top things off I'm being poured out in the present tense. He was constantly being poured out as he sacrificed his life for living for Jesus Christ. He, he, he was just a drink offering. You people at Philippi, you're the main thing. I'm just, I kind of top things off. I mean, what humility for the Apostle Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, the great apostle, starter of churches, to say, hey, listen, you people at Philippi, I'm just a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm just a little offering on top of you, right? That's the idea of, again, uh, being humble. Uh, and he was saying, I am uh, sacrificing for you. And then he goes on to say, uh, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. We should be happy that we are sacrificing for one another. Uh, I was at a graduation uh, for Wesley, and uh, there was a wonderful young lady who was giving um, <clears throat> Uh, the graduation encouragement to the students. And at the end, uh, you know, she said, May all your dreams come true. And I expected the Disney music to kick in at that point. Uh, yeah, wonderful sentiments from this lovely young lady. But really, I mean, you know, if you're really going to get up there and say, Boy, you, you guys better get ready for a rough life. <laughs> you got some real disappointments. Uh, coming your way. Let me tell you uh, what I know about how people's lives uh, go. Uh, yeah, when, when our culture teaches us, hey, you know, go out there. Life is great if you just work hard enough and you give enough uh, energy to it. Uh, you can make the life that you want to have. What Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That's not the life that brings joy. The life that brings joy is a life of sacrifice for Jesus Christ. What does he say again? He says, Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice. I am glad, and I rejoice with you all. Why? Because they were sacrificing, not because they were living uh, the Philippian dream, 
not because uh, they had the house they wanted or the car that they wanted or the job that they wanted or the vacations that they wanted or the health that they wanted. No, because they were sacrificing their lives for Jesus Christ. It was all about Jesus. Again, God wants us to enjoy life, but too many times we get caught on the happiness train and thinking that's where, where the action is when really it's just living for Jesus and the good things and the challenging things that come. That's where the joy comes from. It comes from sacrifice. And you do not hear that from the world. Sacrifice more for Jesus and you'll be happier or you'll be more content and satisfied in life. But that's exactly what Paul is saying. So we look at the model of Paul. And here's the question. What are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? What are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? We have such a wonderful ministry here at Springbrook. Ah, we've got wonderful people. We've got an incredible mission uh, from God. And as I've reflected over the last several months, um, I, I've just been thinking, we need to increase our capacity to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And what that means is, that people need to either step into ministry if they're not involved in any type of ministry, or they need to step up. They're involved in the ministry, but they need to increase their commitment. Now, why is this? Well, because that's the only way that God is going to be able to work through us as we sacrifice. There's many different types of sacrifices, but I'm, uh, again, uh, talking about this one specific thing because a lot of these uh, different examples talk about ministry involvement. Uh, giving your life over to Jesus Christ and serving other people. Uh, my prayer for Springbrook, and I would encourage you to pray with me in relationship to it, is that more of us would get engaged in ministry, and those of us who are engaged in ministry would take a hard, long, prayerful look about how we can step it up. Because, friends, uh, we need more leaders. We need more high-capacity volunteers. What's a high-capacity volunteer? Well, it's the volunteer that, that gives more of themselves. It might be because they have more time. It might be because God's led them to do that. But they give a, a significant amount of time and energy to our family here. Uh, because, friends, you know, I think about our young people and how they need to be discipled. I think of Kid City. We're having a volunteer appreciation luncheon afterwards. And, and, and these kids are so important. Look at little Sienna up here, six years old. You know, But an incredible opportunity we have uh, during uh, this time to build into her life, to teach her, to love her, to encourage her, and to help uh, Jeremy and Jessica in, in their responsibility and in, in growing uh, a young lady to love and know Jesus Christ. Uh, Kid City, you know, while we're here in the service. Thank you if you're serving in that area. And then we have a lot of clubs. That just ended. That's a, that's a heavy commitment. That's like three hours a week at the minimum if you're just serving. And then if you're leading, you add a couple hours on top of that. Well, those are some people who are really engaged in ministry here. Uh, then you have our, our youth ministry. Uh, going on a junior high or senior high retreat, that's sacrificing your body and soul. <laughs> right? <laughs> Over a weekend. Uh, well, again, there was a, a person who uh, Justin, uh, Pastor Justin, our youth pastor, shared with me about uh, an individual who, who, who came to him just recently and, 
This person had gone on one of our retreats. And this person said, boy, I tell you, before I went on that retreat, I was despondent. I was just struggling with a lot of different issues in life. But going on that retreat changed my orientation. God did a unique work in my life. And he, he revived me. He fired me up. And, and I tell you, I want to be engaged in ministry. I want to live for Jesus Christ. See, that's what it's all about. That's why we sacrifice in ministry. That's why we sacrifice our time. Let's look at some of the other sacrifices uh, that can be made. Let's go back to the model of Paul. What are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus to see changed lives, to see people growing as disciples? Your time and energy. That's one of the primary things we think about first. You know, I'm so busy. Well, if you're too busy to be involved in helping people to grow more like Jesus, you're too busy. And you've got to say no. You've got to sacrifice something in your life that you think you really need when you probably don't need it in order to be involved in kingdom work? Or how about your emotions? When you get involved in ministry, it takes a lot of emotional energy because you're working with people. Or how about your money? You know, sacrificing your money, saying no to certain things in order that you might give generously from your heart, be a cheerful giver to God's work here in our ministry or your desires, your plans. That's another thing you can sacrifice and say, God, I want what you want in my life. So the model of Paul, the question we all need to ask ourselves, what am I, Dan Harrison, willing to sacrifice for Jesus Christ? Because we're doing it out of a response of love. I mean, Jesus Christ gave his life. He, he gave us a spiritual life. Uh, he gives us everything that we need for this life. And that should motivate us to want to sacrifice for him. So that's the first model. Okay, the second model is that of Timothy. Timothy. And the question here is, who are, willing, who are you willing to disciple for Jesus? Now, who is Timothy? Well, you know probably that Timothy uh, was a disciple of Paul. When you call someone a disciple, like Jesus Christ had the disciples, they were spending time... Uh, with the person they were being discipled by, typically a rabbi uh, in that day. And they were learning and they were growing and they were seeking to become like the person they were being discipled by. Well, Timothy was a disciple of Paul. And Jesus Christ said, go make disciples of all nations. So we all, the Bible says, need to be engaged in disciple-making. And Paul and Timothy is a beautiful illustration of what disciple-making is all about. Paul poured his life into Timothy. Timothy traveled with Paul, Rome, Berea, Corinth, Philippi. He was there when the church started. And Timothy became a little Paul. <laughs> he became a carbon copy of Paul. Look in uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, or excuse me, let's first uh, look at Philippians 2.19. I hope in the Lord, Paul writes, uh, Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So Paul's writing in prison. Remember, he's in there for two years. Uh, he eventually got out, but at the same time, uh, he's going to send Timothy. So Timothy is always with Paul, ready to do whatever Paul says. So I'm going to send Timothy to you in order to find out what's going on with you. They didn't have Skype back in that day, cell phones, none of that. Uh, news travel very slowly. Uh, so you had to send somebody 
uh, to where the people were at to see how they were doing. And also, uh, Timothy was going to assist him with some of the unity problems that they had uh, in their church. But uh, he was going to send them, and he was going to bring Epaphroditus back. We'll get to that in a moment. Now, it says in uh, Philippians 2.20, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I have no one like him. He, he's a standout. He, he's unique. He, he's different. In fact, in the original language here, it speaks of kindred spirit, that they are one soul. That's how close Paul and Timothy were. We look at Philippians, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 4.16. It says, I urge you then, be imitators of me, Paul says. Be like me. Be like me. Is that prideful? Well, no. Paul was saying, I'm mature in Christ. Follow my example. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Wasn't that kind of uh, looking down on Timothy, calling him a child? Well, no, because, again, Paul was discipling Timothy. It was like Timothy was his son, and he was bringing him up. He was... He was uh, training him. He was teaching him. He was modeling for him what the Christian life was like. So what he was saying is saying, be imitators of me. That's why I'm sending you Timothy, because he's like me. He's just like me. You look at Timothy, you're looking at me. You follow what, how Timothy lives. You listen to his teaching. It's like you're talking and listening to me. That's how close they were. He was his disciple. That's why I'm sending Timothy. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of the ways in Christ and to teach you. Uh, teach them everywhere, in every church. You see, friends, the main way that we learn is not what's happening right now. Okay? Uh, the, main, the main way we learn is by modeling. When you think about, again, David James and uh, Sienna Rose, uh, they're going to turn out just like their parents. Uh, now, again, when we think about that, that's kind of scary. I mean, I talk about my three boys, and you know, sometimes I look at them, and I'm so proud that they're just like me in a positive way. And sometimes I see negative traits. Yeah, I pass that on to them. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have a vicious sneeze. I don't know how many people know that. But uh, I'm one of those big sneezers that, that just scare people to death. I mean, if they're around me when I sneeze, they kind of go, what? I was sitting in the office the other day, and I sneezed, and Cindy, our receptionist, was scared by it. <laughs> and my dad used to sneeze the same way. Now, I don't know if that's genetic or that's modeling, if I just learned to sneeze like my dad. You see, that's the thing, is we learn by modeling, and that's discipleship. People are always learning by watching you. Your kids are learning. Your spouse is learning. The people around you are learning, and pray that they pick up the good stuff. But, friends, that's how we learn. That's why small groups are so important. Because you're around other Christ followers and you see how they're living the Christian life, how they're growing, how they're getting into the Word, how they're dealing with difficult times. And you learn by modeling. And you're always modeling. That's the nature of discipleship. And so Timothy watched Paul and he was discipled. And now other people were going to watch Timothy. And people are watching you. We learn by modeling. Well, it goes on here, and it says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned 
for your welfare. Genuinely concerned. Concerned is an unusual word in the original language. It speaks of uh, anxiety in the most positive sense of the word. It's just like, oh, I'm concerned about you. No, I'm distressed because you have a burden in your life. That's what he was saying. I have no one like him. who. So, so he's like me. He has that same type of genuine concern. Uh, again, this happens in small groups. I was thinking about Kevin McDonough. He's sitting over here with Joe and Beth. We're part of this small group. I tell you, here's a small group that are genuinely concerned about each other. They've been together a long time. And, uh, you know, they, you know, as I hear stories come out of their small groups and I talk with Kev, I mean, they really, really care for one another. I mean, they walk each other through job losses and issues with kids and all the normal stuff that we all go through. But they're a wonderful example of what it means to be genuinely concerned. It's a disciple-making small group, which all our small groups should be, where they're, 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 they're walking through life together, they're learning together, uh, they're praying for one another, they're supporting each other, and they're all growing up in the faith of Jesus Christ. Their faith is growing. And you see, friends, we need to pass this on. So my question for you is, who are you uh, discipling? Who are you discipling? There's three types of relationships. In a sense, if a person's not a Christ follower, you're discipling them into that relationship. And we talked about this during our leadership gathering, that this summer, summer's a great time to connect relationally with people. They come out of their hibernation uh, in their homes. Uh, it's easier to go out and spend time outside. Uh, but, but, you know, maybe one of the relationships you want to invest in is an evangelistic relationship. There's somebody you want and have a burden to see them come to know Jesus. So you're going to say, every week I'm going to do something with this person. We're just going to go hang out and get to know each other. And in the context of that relationship, it might not happen this summer, it might happen this fall or next year or three years from now, but you continue to plant seeds in your life. Or, or maybe it's, you know, I tell you, there are so many people... Uh, within our church who need discipling, who need someone to come alongside them. And this happens in small groups, but many times it's important uh, to happen one-on-one, where you get together and you sit down at Panera, you sit down uh, at uh, Costa's, you sit down at McDonald's, wherever, you know, and you just spend time, time talking about life. And, and you have this person who's younger in their faith, all right, than you are, and you just encourage them and you pray for them. And you share what you've learned. That's discipleship. Or maybe you take them through some uh, discipleship curriculum to help them to understand who they are in Jesus Christ. Maybe they've been a Christian for a long time, but have never grown. You know, you know somebody like that? Somebody, if you just took some time this summer over the next 90 days or so and just said, okay, we're going to get together weekly, in the morning, the evening, lunch, whatever, one time a week, and we're going to go through this Talk to Pastor Rich or myself, and we can give you materials to go through, or you can just talk about life and study the Bible on your own. But the important thing is we need each other so much. We need to be investing in someone. And that's the question, who are you investing in? Some of you have walked with the Lord for many, many years, and you're not investing in anyone. And that's such a waste. We need you investing through small group leadership, through one-on-one discipleship, they're developing another, let's say you're, you're investing in another uh, leader. We need more leaders here at Springbrook. So you're a leader. Every leader at Springbrook should have at least one other person that they're apprenticing 
one other person they're training in order that they might grow to be a leader in our ministry, in order that they might be a small group apprentice and grow to be a small group leader, in order that they might take over whatever leadership position you have in church, that you have somebody who can replace you, not just to replace you, but to help them to grow in their spiritual gifts, help them to grow in their skills of uh, interacting and helping people grow uh, spiritually. All right, uh, we go on in this passage, Philippians 2.21. Paul writes, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He's talking about Timothy again and how he sold out for Jesus. Verse 22, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy's proven worth. Uh, the idea is a very familiar Greek phrase, approve for testing. In a sense that Timothy was a real deal. He had been through ministry. I tell you what, when you get involved in other people's lives, it's challenging. I remember as a youth pastor, I, I discipled a kid uh, for, I don't know, six months, and then he just walked away from the faith. That happens. It hurts. It's disappointing. That's a test of whether you're going to continue to remain faithful in discipling individuals even when they let you down. I tell you, when you get involved in, in other people's lives, especially those people who are young in the Lord, it gets messy. they got a lot of issues going on. And you've got to work through those issues with them. But it's so worth it because somebody took the time to help you deal with your messy issues. So now you've got to change some diapers because... They change your diapers. Okay? All right. Uh, let's uh, look at verse 23. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. So the model of Timothy. Who are you discipling for Jesus? I would just encourage you to meditate, think, pray about one relationship, an evangelistic relationship, a Christian training with a, a person who's... Uh, uh, younger than you in the Lord, or, or leadership uh, development. All right, so we've got the three models going here. Paul and Timothy, now let's move to Epaphroditus. Uh, what risks are you taking for Jesus? Now, this is a very fascinating uh, passage. We don't know much about Epaphroditus, but we read in verse 25, I thought it necessary uh, to send you Epaphroditus, uh, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. We're at uh, verses 25 and 27. Uh, and your messenger and minister to me, my need. For he has been lying for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Epaphroditus, uh, again, we don't know a lot about him. We do know that he was a pagan initially before coming to Christ. Epaphroditus that comes from the goddess Epaphrodite. A very common name, Epaphroditus, the goddess of love, kind of like Jim back in that day, not to insult any Jim Welchers out there, but uh, Jim, very common name, Epaphroditus, a very common name. Uh, Epaphroditus must have been a very godly person if they're going to send him to help. Paul, he's a very courageous person, very dangerous to travel, very dangerous to hang out with a guy like Paul, you know, who they think we're, we're thinking of martyring or killing, that is, uh, for uh, his faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, very courageous uh, man. And what happens is, is this, is that Epaphroditus goes down to Paul, and we're not sure what happened. It said that he fell ill. Well, the word there is really weak in the original language, and I really believe 
that it wasn't some type of physical sickness that became him, but the fact that he stood for Christ. I don't know what happened, but I think because of his faith in Jesus Christ, somebody almost, um, almost killed him. I, there's different ways you can do it, but that's what I kind of think what happened is that he had a brush with death because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when he had this brush with death, somehow the people in Philippi heard about it, a fellow traveler coming through, hey, here, what happened, Epaphroditus? And they said, no, they got all concerned and upset about it. And then Epaphroditus, he got all concerned and distressed about the fact that they were concerned and distressed. And so Epaphroditus, in a sense, couldn't handle it emotionally. He couldn't. He was homesick in a sense, knowing that his church was so upset about him being upset. Now, he really didn't need to go back. The church would have been fine. They had enough going on. But Paul was looking at Epaphroditus, and he was looking at how upset he was, too upset really to stay with him and be of any service to him. So he was going to send him back, the guy that they had just sent to him to help him out. Is this making any sense? <laughs> Okay? All right. So he says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker uh, and fellow soldier. That word fellow soldier, that's uh, in the original language speaks of strategy. So, I mean, he's really building up Epaphroditus here. He's saying that he is so critical for the mission. And your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you and, and has been distressed. That speaks of emotional distress, confusion. Confusion, anxiety, because you heard that he was ill. So he's overcome with emotion because he thinks that the church is so distressed about him, and true they were. Indeed, he was ill, weak, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow, which in the original language speaks about grief upon grief, wave of grief, as it shows that they, they had a very close relationship which probably means that Paul knew Epaphroditus when he started the church in Philippi. Uh, Epaphroditus was a part of it since he had such a close relationship. So verse 20, I am more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Paul had such a heart for the churches. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Now he knew that some people, there were some people that were going to wonder, say, wow, Epaphroditus, what is, are you a weakling? You know, you can't handle it emotionally. <laughs> What's going on with you? We sent you down there for a purpose, right? So he was building up Epaphroditus as he should have done. And he's saying, Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Jesus Christ. You need to honor this guy for he nearly died for the work of Christ. Here it is. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Risking. Uh, that particular word uh, is... Uh, the idea of rolling the dice. So, so uh, Epaphroditus was a gambler. And the interesting thing, uh, the goddess Epaphrodite, which we get, Epaphroditus, uh, that name, uh, she also was a god of luck. So anytime the Greeks, uh, excuse me, the Romans, Greeks, whatever, would, would roll the dice when they were gambling, they'd say, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus. Okay? So it's a play here. That, that that's what his name was associated with, but he was really somebody who risked his faith. Now, talking about risking, anybody heard about this this past week? Let's look at the next slide. Uh, go one more. Powerball jackpot, <laughs> right? 
all over the news. Uh, we're looking at maybe 600 million if it doesn't. Nobody wins from yesterday. It's going to go up to maybe 900 million. Uh, maybe one of the largest jackpots in history. Uh, $2 tickets. Uh, you've got odds of 1 to 175.2 million uh, chances of winning. <laughs> but people are spending all kinds of money, right? Because they think it's going to buy them happiness. And we all know that lottery winners don't do that well. I mean, they kind of peak for a while and they kind of are about as happy as they were, even less sometimes, because their lives have changed uh, so dramatically. So you see all these risk takers. My question for you today is how much risk are you taking in your relationship with Jesus Christ? We tend to be risk adverse. That's we buy all kinds of insurance and we try to control our lives so carefully so nothing bad happens. There's nothing wrong with that. But, 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 but God is saying, I want you to take a risk. I want you to step out. And what does that mean to you? That's the last question I want to leave with you. What are you willing to risk for Jesus Christ? Maybe for whatever reason you've been holding back from stepping into ministry or stepping up into ministry. Well, I want you to roll the dice for Jesus. You never lose with Jesus, right? You're a gambler like Epaphroditus was. You say, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to step up into ministry. I'm going to step into ministry, and I'm going to, I'm going to make it happen. Or maybe some of you, God is working even on a deeper level, and he's saying, I want you to leave your job and become a missionary. I want you to leave your job and become a pastor. Well, now that's risky. Pastor Rich did that, right? He's working in a secular uh, field, and he became a pastor. Maybe God's asking you to take that type of risk. Or maybe he's asking some of you to take a risk uh, financially. And, and, you know, you read the Word of God, and God says be generous, and it, it's just so hard to let go. And, and you just say, okay, I'm going to obey you, God. I'm going to give a tithe. I'm going to get beyond the tithe. I'm, I'm going to take a risk in that way. Or the biggest risk and the most important one is to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Lord of my life. Have you made that decision? Have you given Jesus everything? Have you said, your agenda is my agenda? Just like Timothy with Paul. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm putting all my desires in the back seat, and you're number one. Uh, that's something I encourage you to do. So some next steps here uh, that you can uh, circle beneath your name. Take out your communication slip, rip your communication slip off your uh, bulletin, and circle one of these numbers. Uh, number one, I'll seek God out about stepping up into ministry. I will seek God about stepping up in ministry. So getting involved in ministry or increasing your uh, involvement. Uh, number three, I'll meditate on or seek to memorize Philippians 2, 3, our memory verse for this month. I'm interested in knowing more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this uh, inspiring passage. Oh, man, I could go on and on. Uh, about these three guys who are sold out to you. And I, I just pray that I would continue to grow in being sold out for you and to uh, be discipling and uh, to be risking and to be sacrificing because you love me so much. In Christ's name, amen.